0: Hi Marie. How you doing?
1: Good. Happy Sunday, Diane.
0: How's it going?
1: It's good. It's raining here. It's raining there. Yes,
0: yeah, it's rain. It's kind of cold. I don't know if it's cold because I cut the heat down in the house. Sometimes I cut it down when I go to sleep and I forget to cut it back up. But I don't know if it's cold outside. But it feels like it is. So, I think Karen just joined us. Hi, Karen.
2: Yeah. Hi. How you doing?
0: I'm doing great.
2: We have my, my cousin Marie on the phone. Hi, Marie. Okay. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How are you today? I'm doing great.
1: Great. Thank you so much for joining us on short notice. Uh, yeah, that's fine.
2: Uh, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> okay. I think that's all of us. And
0: so, um, uh, uh, this is a, a podcast. I think Maria and I, this is our 12th one, 12th or 13th one, and we call it Cousins Dropping Knowledge. We kind of started it just talking, and I had told her I was interested in doing a podcast, and so we talked to each other and dropped knowledge, so we decided to share the knowledge we were dropping. So. Uh since uh we said in the future and so this starts twenty twenty one, a brand new year, brand new day. So we decided also to bring in our cousins and also our play cousins. So in in, in our vernacular play cousins is a friend who is it's like a relative. So Karen is one of those friends who's like my relatives. And so yes. I think Marie, you met her probably years ago, probably at my mother's death. I did met her then. I think I met think, her before, Marie. I think
2: I met her, met you at your your home house, um, a long okay. time ago.
0: Yeah, because David was a baby. Yes, I took you mm-hmm.
2: down there. Yeah, I, I remember going down there.
1: Okay, yeah. yes, I do remember meeting you. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So uh, we decided to, uh, when our, our real cousins, Maria and our real cousins, uh, one of she decided that it was not a good time right now, I called Karen, because I think that Karen, uh, Maria had talked about bringing in Karen this year, but I think that Karen is, um, is a great person to bring in to this conversation now since in this country with the COVID, with this uh, this deadly plague or virus that we have. We've lost Mm -hmm. over 300,000 people I think. Mm -hmm. So very sad. So Karen, could you tell us a little bit about uh, where you come from, what you do and uh, why um, and how you help people in times like this or serve people in times like this?
2: Well, um, I tell people I'm uh, army bred. I was born in Fort Benning, Georgia graduated from Fort Knox High School and uh, been all, you know, around the, I guess the world and the country. Um, And I um, took a circuitous route and uh, I started out as a teacher and uh, then I became a flight attendant. And then I went to, uh, became a paralegal and finally I became uh, an attorney. And uh, my practice area is um, elder law and disability rights. And um, what I do um, many times, I I use the the scripture that talks about uh, Lazarus and when he was sick and his sisters, uh, Mary and Martha were praying, asking Jesus to come and see about him. And I tell people, I usually work with Mary and Martha because people that come to me, most of the time they come when somebody's very sick or dying or someone has died. And um, unfortunately, many times they haven't had any, they haven't done any planning. And so they wind up having to come and talk with a lawyer. So that, I think that kind of answers the question in a roundabout way. Yeah, it
0: does. Marie had um, a few years ago, I don't know how many years ago, maybe more than 10, that she came up with an idea of a black folder. Marie, could you tell us why you came up with the idea of the, every person shop a black folder?
1: Sure. Um, it was after 9-11, actually, and I was traveling a lot for the company that I was working for, and if you guys remember, flights were canceled for a period of time, mm-hmm. but I knew that I would have to start Flying again, so my son was about eighteen at that time, and I thought, well, I might get on one of these planes and it may go down. So Mm -hmm. let me gather all my documents. I had, you know, last will and testament, insurance policies, and I just kind of gathered everything together. And I thought, well, where am I going to put it where he can find it? So you know how in your file cabinet you have a lot of Manila envelopes, but I happened to have a black folder. So I thought, okay, that's it. I'll put everything in the black folder. And so I just told my son, you know, if something were to happen to me, just look for the black folder. Everything you need is going to be in the black folder. And so then over the years, I've started, you know, of course, changed jobs and, you know, got other different types of policies. And I've kept the black folder going along with letters to him you know, here's my financial situation and, you know, love you. And sorry, you're reading this, but this is the way it is. In uh, and, and the process of that, I've started to help other people create black folders for themselves. So that, like you said, Karen, they come to you because they haven't done the preparation. Um, but if they can do the preparation and just get their head around the fact that, you know, it may not happen today or tomorrow, but eventually it's going to happen. Uh, and do some planning up front, it'll help them and their family members more than anything when that time does come.
2: Yeah, you know, um, the, some of the most tragic things that occur um, are people come to my office and they don't even know the name of the insurance company for the person who died. And if you don't know the name of the insurance company, uh, that's really nothing anyone can do for you. Uh, what I tell people is, you know, look through um, the person's mail or whatever and try and see if you can find things. People bring me in, used to be brown paper bags. Now it's those reusable um, bags from the grocery stores. But um, one thing I, I tell people when when I do documents for them they asked me where what to do with them. I I have a, a strong box, a little green strong box, and I keep my deed to my house, my life insurance papers, uh my my uh estate documents, all of those important things are in there. I even have my original social security card and a copy of my son's social security card and my granddaughter's and my birth certificate. You know, all those important papers are in one place because um, when something happens catastrophic, whether whether somebody has a heart attack, a stroke or anything, people are then in a panic. And if they don't know, they just don't know. And, you know, one of the the things I, I think people try and keep, everything is secret. And I tell people, you can have all the secrets you want, but you have a stroke, you can't talk, have a heart attack, you can't talk, you die. Everything, all your secrets are going to be gone. Every one of those, you know, secret things that you don't want people to know, you don't want people to know how much money you have here, there, everywhere. So, um, I I applaud you for talking to your son because I wrote an article for the American Bar Association um, about a year or so ago. And and I wrote it because i had had a year where I had so many young people Mm. whose parents had died. And these were what had happened with the parents had been sick, you know, cancer, things that linger and they died and they had done nothing. Mm hmm. Nothing, and and here are these young kids coming to me. Some of them eighteen. Uh, one girl, she was nineteen. She was down at, at Duke University. Had to come home and come to this that kind of uh, trauma uh, on top of losing your your parent. But if you are if you are diagnosed with something, you really should start making sure you have. Things in order and that you have somebody that you can talk to. I think some people don't have anybody they can trust mm-hmm. um, to talk to about these kinds of things or to put on their I know some people don't have people that they trust enough to put on their documents uh, so I applaud you um, especially if you have young adults because that's a lot to put, uh, to put on a, a young child. They're still children and if their parent uh, dies, you know. I think good comes out of bad, and one of the things uh, with this COVID nineteen, I used to always tell people that you know you could wake up tomorrow and can't get out of bed, don't know who you are. Well, now the COVID nineteen has made people become a believer. They know now, and they know how random it can be. Uh, you know, nine eleven was a wake-up call for you. Um, but there are wake-up calls every day. People die every day. You don't have to get COVID-19. Y- you could have uh, a car accident. You know, I had a guy, he drove those big tractor trailers. He was jumping up into his rig, missed a step, fell, and he was in a, a coma. <sighs> anything. You know, preachers tell you that. (laughs) People don't hear that. Preachers tell you. You don't know the day nor the hour. So you you have to plan. Uh, Everybody's going to die. I tell people there are three things you can have happen in life. You can be like um, that lady they just showed her. I can't remember. She was... 89 or 90 or something. She would, She jumped out of an airplane. Um, or you could, you know, have some kind Karen,
0: we lost
2: you. Oh, I think my phone went to uh, pause or something. But uh, th- those things happen... You you can have something um, you you know um, B Smith early stage Alzheimer's. We see more and more of that happening in the African American community. Um, There are just so many so many variables that can then cause you to need something um, and to need help. Um, So I I tell people try and get your 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 documents in place at least um, so that your family doesn't have to not only you know try and help you or grieve you but then they also have to deal with the legal things because uh, I mean I get calls from people um, I got a call one day from um, a friend of mine on a Sunday evening and uh, she was calling me because her one of the women at her church had come up to her that day at church and the nursing home was saying they were going to put her husband out, and so um, I talked. I had her. I told her to go ahead and let her. Told her to call me that evening. But they had no documents in place, and he was. They were both in their sixties, so it, it's not just old people that need to have documents in place. I think anyone over the age of eighteen should have some documents in place, even if it's just a power of attorney for. Finances and a power of attorney for health care, um, because if something happens <clears throat> and you don't have any documents in place, it can be tragic. Um,
1: and, and there's a significant cost difference between having the documents in place versus not having them in place and then having to get a lawyer involved at, at that point. Right.
2: Yep. I'll tell you that one of the most tragic cases I had was uh, this is many years ago. This young lady, she was a student at Howard University. She was driving to church in here in Prince George's County, it was in a car accident. They took her over to Prince George's Hospital Center. She was in a coma and um, the uh, family, they couldn't do anything. So anyway, they um, were referred to me and we had to get a, a guardianship, which is what you have to do when you don't have any paperwork. Um, and I tell people the the cost difference. I don't my, I tell people, my, I, call, I charge for a simple will, I'll charge $200. For a power of attorney, I charge $200. And for an advanced medical directive, I charge $200. But for a guardianship, I will charge you $3,000 if it's not contested. If it's contested, which means, and I've had those where everybody come to court with their own lawyer, I'm charging $300 an hour because we're in there, you know, litigating over somebody else's assets, their money, their, or where they're going to stay. And, uh, you know, you can have two day trials um, fussing and fighting. A guardianship? guardianship is some places they call it a conservatorship uh, where what people don't understand and, and this, I, I try and explain this to people. What happens is the court actually becomes in charge of, of your person and your property. So uh, what you do is uh, let's say like I'll use the example of the eighteen, the young lady who was um, at Howard. Her parents, they were in Georgia, and they flew up. Well, the, the doctors, because she was over the age of 18, she's an adult. The doctors needed, uh, any doctor needs what they call informed consent. We lost your
0: guest.
2: I have to make sure my phone, I have to keep looking at my phone to keep it um, from timing. It's, it has a thing on it to time out. But um, what happens is uh, the court has to um, appoint someone to speak for you because you can't speak for someone who's over the age of 18. Only they can speak for themselves and um, I know people remember those cases where the, the, the mother and the, the husband went all the way up to the Supreme Court because the court has to have what they call empirical evidence of what you would have said. And um, I don't care if it's your husband, your wife, your child. If they're an adult, if they're over the age of 18, under the law, they're, they're an adult. You can't speak for them. And if they don't have any document in place saying what kind of life-sustaining treatment they would want or not want, you have to go to court and get a either a guardianship or conservatorship over their person. And that that would allow you to speak for them and, and make those kinds of decisions. And that also determines where they live. Uh, um, and so a lot of times, you know, you're in in court fussing and fighting because um, somebody wants mama to live with them. And somebody thinks you you can't have her live. She got to live with me. Um, but that's guardianship of the person or conservatorship. Uh, the other part is guardianship of property, which uh, like with this young lady, the, the parents could not close. She had an apartment in DC. Well, they couldn't do anything with the apartment, close the apartment down or anything about her car and insurance because she was an adult. In, they needed to have the guardianship papers. If they had had a um Power of attorney for finances, or if they had had a, a, a healthcare power of attorney, what we call an advanced medical directive, they could have handled both of those things for their daughter. Um, but they, we had to go to court and get a guardianship, and, and they had to appear in court. Um, so it, it just, it, it doesn't serve you well, I think, to uh, not have the documents in place. Because if you have a catastrophic event, the last thing you want to do is to be sitting around talking to an attorney um, about what to do. And
0: what's the
2: advanced medical directive? The advanced medical directive is where it is like a healthcare power of attorney, where you tell people, if I can't talk to the doctor, uh, this is who I want to talk to the doctor for on my behalf and also like for example uh i i whenever i go to uh i've had uh outpatient surgery um uh what do they call it? a colonoscopy and um I had surgery on my right leg and um in both instances i had my my sister my younger sister Bonita is, is my uh um, I put always put two people on the document, the first person and then somebody in case something happens to them. But um in both instances, Bonita comes with me. My power of return, my advanced medical directive is, is um names her, and she has the authority to talk to the doctors because you can go in for a simple procedure and something happened and you can't talk, you can't communicate. Uh, so you always if you're going if you're checking into a hospital when during the check in procedure, they're going to ask you if you have an advanced medical directive, because you can't be uh, in any hospital in the United States that gets any federal money without having an advanced medical directive. And I don't know if you can find a hospital that doesn't get some, a penny from the federal government. And, and what that does is that that allows you. Uh, to have someone allows the hospital to have someone that they can talk to, in the event you can't talk, um, you can or you can't make decisions. It, it, th- those two documents are very important. In fact, they're so important here in Maryland, we passed legislation so that you can take your advanced medical directive and you can upload it to a, a, a uh, website called MyDirective.com. So that I don't care where you are in the world, they can access it and people will know who to contact. Um, let's say you're out in California and you slip and fall. Um, they can find out if you have a direct, an advanced medical directive and who to contact. Because that advanced medical directive has the phone number and the address for the person and persons that um, you want to make decisions for you for health care if you can't. You can have this
0: so advanced medical directive you can get it off online or you have to use an attorney well or you can just use
2: it we use have you know i am a person that I always wants you people to go to an attorney, but I did when i I used to be uh chair of the um elder law section of the Maryland State bar, and we fought for two years to get uh we have a statutory advanced medical directive and we have a statutory power of attorney. Where you can go to the Maryland Attorney General's website, and you can download those documents for free. Um, the, the, my only concern is that I, I think people have to take these documents seriously. Can't just put down some people. They say, "Well, I'm gonna put my oldest child or whatever." Uh, those documents are so important because things that used to kill people in the past, you can let you you. I have you know, you have people that have ALS, uh, multiple sclerosis, um, you have people that in in your family that may have, um, uh, they may be bipolar, schizophrenic, or alcoholic, or, or drugs, on drugs, and they may at some point in their life need somebody uh, that's going to help them. I, I had a case where this woman, she retired, and she was living by herself, and she wound up at Johns Hopkins, had uh was um had, she was diagnosed with uh alcohol induced dementia and they had no documents in place the the two daughters so you know that was a whole odyssey because the two daughters were at each other tooth you know they were fighting um so it it becomes a a real problem and that's another thing What with that case, the judge makes the decision when you go before the judge to see about uh, if you need um, if you don't have those documents. And even sometimes if you have the documents and there's a lot of fussing and fighting, the judge can make the decision on what's going to happen. The judge makes the final call. And in that case, the judge put her the mom. She was very wealthy, but she put her in the public guardianship program. So what happens is if you're under the age of 55, the department of social services becomes your guardian of person. If you're um, over 55, the department, the area agency on aging department of aging for the local department of aging becomes your guardian of, of person. And then they have uh, a panel of attorneys and an attorney is appointed uh, as your guardian of property. And, we, we have in our community an inordinate amount of people that are in the adult public guardianship program, because one, they don't have any documents in place and they don't have, and two, they don't have a relationship with their family. Um, so, I mean, I have people who they're in the guardianship program. I have no idea who their family members are can't find them, don't know, or we have them and we find the family and the family doesn't want to be bothered with them because they may have, uh, during their life, they may have been alcoholic or they may have been schizophrenic or bipolar. And so people kind of throw them away. That's the reality of the adult public guardianship program. And it gets larger and larger every year. So I, I think, you know, Part of this um, is trying to make sure that we um, take care of each other. Um, a lot of people that are that are homeless are people that are just slip through the cracks and if they are able if they don't have uh, a debilitating uh, disease or catastrophic event, they just live on the streets but the the people that get very sick they go into the public guardianship program and I think they're invisible to most people.
1: You know, Karen, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm taking notes and I'm wondering how would people know about this? I don't understand how people would know about the adult guardianship program how they would know what would happen to them. Like you gave some examples of people of what happened to them and their property if they didn't have these documents. It's like, I, I don't know how people will know how important these documents are unless they have an experience of it or someone tells them. I don't, it's, you it, know what I'm
2: saying? Marie, it's very discreet uh, area of law. And, and I tell people it's the area where medical science, um, your faith tradition and the law can collide. And um, interestingly enough, I'm actually in the process of writing a book about this. um, Oh, uh, good. And um, prayerfully um, it'll be published uh, and the American Bar Association um, prayerfully will be publishing it. And then um, hopefully people you know, can learn. But I mean, I do seminars and there's a lot of uh, uh, people do seminars. Um, but it is a very discreet area. And, and it's just like when someone dies, unless you've gone through someone dying, you don't know what to do. You know, the many times the first call I get when someone dies is people say they call and they don't know what to do. Mm hmm. And, uh, I tell them, well, the first thing you can't do anything unless you get a death certificate. That's the first thing you got to get. And you don't get that unless you get, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the, normally the, uh, funeral home gets that the funeral director. And, and that, that brings up another issue. Um, many people in our community don't have money for a funeral and they don't have the money. You know, I've had people call me from the, the, um, funeral directors. some I don't know what they thought was going to happen. The funeral director is going to, you know, out of goodness of their heart, give them a a funeral. Some, some funeral homes, you know, they, they do help people. um, But for the most part, they're in business to make money and um, people and it's expensive. So you have to, um, you know, go, Contact the funeral home, get someone to, if someone died at home or at the hospital, somebody has to take charge of the body. That's the, those are the first things that you have to do. And, and you, people don't realize that when someone dies, uh, I've had people die and, and folks don't know that you can't then take money out of their account, especially right. if your name's not on it. <laughs> they, um, so you have to, um, Take some time, figure out what it is that they um, they own, what what bills they owe, and try and um, see if they have a will. Um, if they don't have a will, then you're subject to the laws of your state as to how their property is to be distributed. And everyone, um, I tell people, if you don't want, if there's certain people you don't want to have your property then you need to um, take care of uh, getting a will drawn up or trust, depending on what, what you have. I, I tell people my rule of thumb is if you own property in more than one state, you may want to have some type of a trust. Even if you own more than one piece of property in, in one state, you may need to do a trust. But everybody is different. And, that, and that's why I... You know, I know people like to go online and and purchase stuff, uh, but I, I tell people, you have to be careful because a little knowledge is dangerous.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, uh, every state's laws are, are different. And um, I'm not one who, um, you know, people want to come to you for what they call unbundled um Legal services where they do the documents and then they want me to review them. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because that's not my document. Uh, I, I'm not doing it. There, you may find someone that will do that, but um, and then you have people that um, you're uh, there are people that are in the military or they they can get legal services through the um, JAG office. Uh, the general mm-hmm. office will. They, I know here in Maryland and at Andrews Air Force Base, I think it's on Tuesdays, one day of the week, they do uh, estate planning documents for people. But things, and then if you're a member of AARP, you can you can get documents done. There are ways to get good, competent legal uh, assistance to get the, your documents done, and it doesn't cost you an arm or a leg. Uh, It'll cost you more if you don't have documents done and you have um, a heart attack or a stroke or uh, you get a diagnosis of uh, ALS or MS um, or you die because everybody's going to die at some point and you don't have anything in place that's going to cost you more in the long run. You know, and, that, and that's what
1: I'm sitting here thinking. You know, you said it's a discrete area of law, but it's one of those areas that is going to touch everybody because, like you said, everyone's going to die. Mm-hmm. But I think a large part of this is that people are afraid. They're afraid to think about it or talk about it. Uh, they're afraid if they plan for it that they could bring it on. You know, it's yeah. all different things.
2: You know, I tell people when I was growing up, people would die and the wake would be at the person's house. And w- w- as a child, that was fun because we'd go to the house and all the kids would be there. They'd have food and, the, you know, the people, the person, the dead body would be sitting in the living room, laying out, laid out in the living room. Wow. It, was, it wasn't uh, morbid or anything. That that was just what people did. And now we're so antiseptic that um, that's not a part of, of, of uh, the life um you know people just don't do that um i i but that's what I grew up with seeing seeing the people um laid out that's what it meant to be laid out <laughs> in the house with people yeah. but.
0: <laughs> well uh one of the things that um I would like to just to uh and caring for. Uh, I was one of those people who had a traumatic or catastrophic situation when I had the accident. Ten years, ago, yeah. almost eleven. That's March, right. I to make eleven years, and and um, if it wasn't for Karen, I don't know where I'd be. In so many ways, one way was uh, just simple. The fact she told me this. I think when I was. More conscious because uh, I was unconscious for a while, I think. I don't know how long. But uh, she told me that um, when she got the the, um, the information that I had been in this horrific car accident, she was in court. And uh, I think my brother mm-hmm. was blowing up her phone. And then she walked out of court, I think, or well, whatever happened. She said, she, and she, uh, she, she called my brother. And he told her about the accident, and um, and she she went to. Um,
2: I think she said she told you told me she I, went to church. I went to she church to, to pray to church because once Tish told me the extent of the injuries, the accident, because of the work I do, I know what could have happened or how you how you could have survived. You could have. Died. You could have survived it and not have the ability to speak, to talk, to know who anyone to, to be. Basically, what they call in a persistent vegetative state. That was very a very real outcome that could have come. And so the only you know, I, I my faith tradition is you have to call on the saints. You have to pray and do intercessory prayer. Um, and that, that's the only thing that I knew, you know, um, um, my faith tradition, my legal mind. I went online and started um, a medical assistance long term care application for you because I know that uh, the date that you apply, even if you don't have all the information, your benefits are going to go back to the date that you applied. Um, Those are, you know, it's a a dichotomy that you you don't want to have to deal with. But I I tell my clients, every hospital has a chapel. And what we did when Diane was at uh, the shock trauma unit, we we took over the lobby down there. Um, Diane... uh, we we were, we had the power of prayer. You know, the upper room. Uh, we we used the power that we had in prayer. We were petitioning that, and that's a, a legal term that people don't realize. It, it comes from from uh, the Bible. Comes from the law. The law comes from from um, God. And we petitioned, the we were petitioning asking God to intervene on behalf of, of our sister Diane. And then we, we were all over the internet. We were not ashamed. We were not ashamed to pray and to ask God for a miracle. So that's what I, a lot of times when I when I meet with people, that's what I tell them their job is to pray and, and I do the legal part, but you, you, you know, Sometimes we are so, we've gotten so um, antiseptic um, and sterilized in in this society that we don't realize that the only thing that got us over as a people, the, the only thing that brought us through was the grace of God, God's grace and mercy. and And that's what we have to go back to. Times like that. And now you one
0: of the things one of the things you said to me is that um when you were there, it was a oh a yeah spent hours down there waiting for them to tell you something. And so you said oh. you started reading the wall in the um you started reading the wall in the waiting room down at the Shaw Trauma Center, University of Maryland uh trauma center. And they and it was I forgot I think forgot the man's name that started the trauma. Tra- shock trauma mm-hmm. donated the money and uh because he believed that a lot more people in the dc maryland virginia area can live through mm-hmm. trauma but the traffic is so mm-hmm. bad that they couldn't get to the hospital so he actually had these helicopters to, mm-hmm. to go to where the patients were then flew them back there and had a team mm-hmm. which i experienced that um and so then you said to me that you thought of the old testament verse um before you call that's right already
2: he had prepared he had prepared it for us
0: and because
2: we we didn't know we didn't know what we wouldn't have known to ask that we wouldn't have known that we even needed that yeah. we didn't know how would we know right
0: and so i you know i thank you for believing oh no also, also you told me that you asked god oh yes lord my right yes mind. so when i and so I thank you for believing God that all of that, even with my neck, which is in the back of my head as we speak, that I'm still in my right mind. And so, um, so you know, I tell people that Karen's practice is not uh, – people call me all the time, and I said, well, call Karen. And they say, well, no, I said, well, call her. She don't think of her practice just to make money because she could have went with a major law firm when she left. But she think of her practice as yeah, ministry also. So, um, and so when it's ministry, then, you know, it's, uh, you're doing God's work. And so even though it's a field that is, it's probably maybe like the word of God. It's a, it's, um, it's a field field of law that you practice. is not that much spoken about Mm -hmm. who wants to talk about death, but it's a field that Mm -hmm. should be a part of our daily, like when we, um, when, um, I got a text. I was on I was in my Sunday school Bible class. I got a text about um and I was talking about love in this Bible study and some people disagree with love cuz they can't believe that you love everybody. But I said the Bible says it but you know, right. I didn't want to <laughs> I didn't go. But I was just so I said. <laughs> so I said, I'm not going to discuss that with them. But um so Marie was texting me and uh, the other person texted me said we can't do it. The other cousin. I said, "Okay, I got the perfect person because you know, Karen's practice to me exudes uh, the law and love, and not law right. is love. And I think that your practice um, and what you do, you know, especially, you know, I know from firsthand because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be this comfortable and sitting this well and like it wasn't for all that you did for me. So I'm just thankful, and I know that a lot of other your clients are thankful. And I wanted to bring you on because when I look at the news, sometimes in recent news, that some people say, well, when they buried those people in New York in a in like a, in, mm-hmm. a, in a common grave, they said, so why would people let their relatives be buried in a common grave? Why didn't they go get the body? And I said they probably didn't have the papers, or maybe everybody in the family died, and they did, or they didn't have time to find the papers, or everyone is sick. So, you know, once you've gone through trauma and know a person like you, that people don't know
2: that dying. It's not. And the other thing that they don't realize is that people are dying in such large numbers. You know, the Division of Vital Records was overwhelmed. So some of those people, you know, they had to bring out the freezers, those freezer things. They didn't Mm -hmm. some of them. They didn't have uh, the paperwork. The death certificates weren't able to be done. All that you know, you can't do that by computer. That's that's you know, you gotta have a have a uh, someone to declare the person dead, the cause of death, all that stuff has to be put. out. And then on the death certificate, this is another thing. I have had to claim people, I and we don't even know the the people calling me saying, okay, where were they born? Who were their parents? All that stuff's supposed to be on your death certificate. If nobody knows that, they don't have that about you. That's gone. That's information that's just gone. And a lot of people that died in this COVID thing, if they were by themselves and they didn't have anyone you know, that they could contact, no contact person, they don't have that information. How, who are they going to know to call to come get the body? It, it's You know, I tell people in my practice, I don't do, I don't say somebody passed away. I say people die. Death and dying are real things. Mm. They happen, Mm -hmm. and you have to come to grips with that. Um, And and that means that you know, you have to make sure that when you die, people aren't running around. Do you know that there are people that uh, that died during this? Thing, and they were in their houses and people found them eventually but then the people didn't know anybody to contact because if, if you die in your home and then you know the the authorities are called the the uh, the police can't declare you dead they have to call a coroner and the coroner calls you de- determines that you've died and and pronounces you dead then there's a lot of paperwork that has to be done in order for the death certificate to be done and and get out so i tell people you know when someone dies you have to close out their life and if you've got missing parts it can be it can be heartbreaking uh, um I I had a, a gentleman who was in a nursing home and he died and you know they called me. Um and I once I finally got a death certificate, uh I had to get someone to go to his house and get all this, you know, paperwork. But then I was trying to contact his family members, but he had, didn't have good relations with them. They didn't want to be bothered. His wife had predeceased him. So I guess the bottom line is that I tell people relationships matter. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's important that you, you know, you talk to people. Uh, Marie, you, you started out talking about your son and him knowing uh, where your paperwork is. Uh, People should know how you feel about, um, if you were uh, had to be put on a, a ventilator, how do you feel about that? The, those things, these are things that happen every day. Now people understand, because now people know what a ventilator is, now they understand um, what, it, what it is to be intubated. People used to not even know what you're talking about. But with this COVID-19, it has made it very real. People understand that death, sickness is random. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you live. Things can happen to you. And I think that Probably the most important relationship you have is to your God and your family, and then all that other stuff kind of falls to the wayside when you get sick and when you die. You have people that die, and they have, you know, there's no no, no service because there's who are you gonna invite to the service? So. Well,
1: Karen, I cannot, I cannot thank you enough. You know, this Diane had told me about your practice and that you saw it as a ministry and I can absolutely feel that and have been blessed for the last 45 minutes listening to you. And I, that, you know, Anybody that listens to this podcast now or into the future is also blessed, and and also actually action and make the proper preparations so that they can have the documents when that time comes.
2: Well, I'm going to leave you with what I what I always leave people with is a song they used to sing. It says, "Life is filled with swift transitions." Not on earth unmoved can stand, build your hopes on things eternal, hold to God's unchanging hands and um i think that um you know uh the, the even the story i've I've researched the story behind the woman who wrote that that's um, she was born um, her father died this is back in nineteen o one, I believe she was born, and then she contracted an illness that made her bedridden and wheelchair bound all her life and she wrote that hymn and i i try and tell people that we don't know what could happen but she wrote over 200 hymns and poems so just because something catastrophic happens to you uh when someone just when someone dies you know you, things always happen, but you're going to live and go through it and, and you'll make it through it. So I, I hope i bless someone and, and hopefully spread some knowledge. You know what they say, if you know better, you got to do better. So.
0: Well, Karen, you know, thank you so much. And, um, you know, if you want to give your website or your number, you know, you have to be in Maryland. I don't know if you're taking more clients. I don't know. But um, I think that um, that there, it might be someone, you know, like, you know, in our church,
2: tradition, they say, I don't know
0: who I'm talking to, but somebody out there needs to hear this. And I think that uh, uh, with, with, uh, with Della Counseling, then I'm I yeah. him, calling you and asking. I think you were yeah. finishing up your yoga, online yoga. But I knew that um, you were important at this time because now there's a new strand of the virus. And we can't take life for granted. We need to get things in order. And I'm not. Well, not, I'm going to give I you my website. My website has
2: all my information on it. So I uh, thank you. It's uh, www.k as in kite, p as in paul o is an orange p is in paul e is in edward a is an apple t is in tom t is in tom y is in yellow at oh com i'm sorry not at dot com
0: <laughs> dot okay well we thank you um for joining uh, cousins knowledge <laughs> our play cousins our first so we first
2: cousins we first cousins town
0: maryland listen listen i tell yeah. people
2: uh i, I you know I, I have to deal with all that kind of stuff uh, when people die sometimes people you know you going back uh to third cousins trying to give stuff away but um <laughs> but uh One of the things uh, that people don't realize is that uh, those family relationships are are very important. And um, it's important that as as you get, especially as you get older, because uh, as I told your brother, David, Diane, that, you know, he, David would ride his bicycle from D.C. to Virginia and back. And I told him, David, you're going to be, We're going to all be dead and you'll be alive and all these young people, they won't know who you are. (laughs) You outlived all of us. And people do. They outlive all their folks. So you have to uh, make sure you have some relationships in your life. And it's not always your family, your bloodline, uh, but it's the people that God has put into your life um, that are uh, like family for you and um you know my my son can't wouldn't open his mouth without saying Aunt Diane uh, so that that's the kind of relationship um and that was why it was nothing for us to stand in the gap um when you couldn't stand for yourself mm. Yeah,
0: thank you, thank you, thank you. I tell people that um. I don't don't know how you remember how we connected but uh, we went to a church retreat when you was a truly (laughs) fly girl flying around the world going to all the francophone countries you know flying a bad chick and so you know I was just a conservative church girl you know working my little job Um, and so uh, at the family retreat and a church family retreat I think it was a two or three day retreat and very very spiritual retreat and and you came, to, and and the pastor, our pastor, asked us to make a commitment. And you and you walked over to me. He said, "Before you leave, you make a commitment." I was so tired. Plus, it's kind of cold in there. I was just ready to go. And he, you came over to me and said, Diane, I decided That's that I right. want a Christian friend, and so mm-hmm. you would be my Christian friend. I want you to be my Christian mm-hmm. friend." And so I was, I always remember that. And then from then we are not. We've been, uh, That's right. to, you know, to That's Jesus said right. he'll be closer to you than your own. You know, brother. it's closer to me than my own.
2: I, I tell people back, I Diane, I was wearing a size eight, running all over the world. I have, I, I have come from, from the um, Congressional Black Caucus down to that retreat. And something, you know, you have to listen to the unction of the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost says, move, you move. And I was up in uh, uh, the capital that I can't remember the name of this big fancy hotel Um, and uh, with all these folks. And. And I said, I'm going to this retreat and went there and uh, that was that was what was supposed to happen in my life. You know, you can't worry about what's supposed to happen to other people's lives. You have to worry about what God is telling you is supposed to happen in your life. And uh, so I found a friend um, who I can call at any day, time, hour, talk about everything, laugh and cry. Um, and that was what I needed in my life. So um, I think that um, I, I, I thank you for Accepting the friendship of a sinner, because <laughs> I was definitely. <laughs> what I don't talk about the young people. My
0: grace, girl. Say I know. I, know.
2: I was a fly girl. <laughs> child, I knew it. <laughs> that's right.
0: If my mother, that's right, you in your life. My mother would say, "Enjoy your
2: no, life." No, so, that's what I tell life. people. I, you have
0: no and, regrets. And thank
2: right. God that uh, you know the Lord spoke to my heart and, and my head and told me to move on out of that that space. So, and here I am. We're still standing. We're still standing. All right, ladies. Well, my my son and my granddaughter are here, so. Um, Got my blessings in my house. Uh, let's see what thank
1: to. you so much, Karen, for joining us and uh, sharing no. and dropping some knowledge. And this concludes another episode of Cousins Dropping Knowledge. All
2: right, bless you, too.